So uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to this community, to our families. We thank you that you're so much bigger and smarter and wiser and loving and gracious than we ever could be. Father, help us continually trust you more and more and more. And I ask that you would give us ears to hear today and eyes to see, minds to comprehend. Father, hearts with fertile soil and feet that want to run towards obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted to, um, just real quick, you know, I fielded some questions about last week. Um, how many of you guys were here last week? So, you know, we, we kind of had a unique worship experience, which isn't abnormal within the body. Um, God likes to do things. God has things planned. And sometimes it doesn't matter how you feel or how you don't feel. God just wants to do something. And, and we really believe that last week God wanted to do something, and he did it. Now, does that mean that God showed up? No, God's always with us. So he, God's here today. God has a different agenda today. Last week, God had an agenda of setting some people free, giving people visions, and then us praying for the nations. One of the things that I reflected on last week was um, God does something unique when we get our eyes off of ourselves. Did you realize that? Last week, what did we do? We didn't end up praying for, oh, God, fix this person or fix that person. We ended up praying for brothers and sisters around the world. We loved our neighbor as we loved ourselves. So that was really unique to me. But, but someone asked the question, or actually a couple people, like, how do we sustain that? How do we, how do we keep moving in the presence of God? You just keep living. There, there's no code. There's no cheat code. There's no pattern. But, but I do know that there is, there is a way to not live in it. And that's to get prideful. That's to take a break of what, what's important. That's to start thinking that you can just relax from um, doing daily disciplines. So if you want to sustain an intimate relationship, if you want to sustain walking in the presence of God, I believe that the number one way to do that is to Start reading your word. Keep reading the word and keep discovering who God is in his word, right? And then after that, whatever got you there, just keep on doing that. Remain humble. If you came in here uh, with a poor spirit, keep that. Don't just think, I can live how I want now. Remain in that poor spirit. Nevertheless, um, keep reading, keep praying, remain desperate. And just keep on being excited when God shows up in unique ways. Last week was a unique way. So um, I was going to joke with you guys, and I was going to say, what did I speak about last week, if you refer to your notes? And then none of you would have had anything. So, um, so we're going to continue in the book of Acts. We are now in chapter 10. And... Um, Throughout this book, we see God establishing and furthering his church. We see the gospel be being preached. We see people being set free. And um, we've seen a lot thus far. But today, we're going to see the first Gentile conversion. Maybe for some people in this room, this is remedial. But for others, it's not. And that's okay. Throughout the book, or sorry, throughout the Bible, there seems to always be groups of people at odds with one another, right? We see it all throughout the book. Um, specifically speaking today, odds between Jews and Gentiles. So who are the Jews and who are the Gentiles? Well, the Gentiles are basically everyone who's not a Jew. So it's like who appropriately roots for football teams, Ohio State. And then there's everyone else, right? That's kind of the way it is. So the Jews felt as if they were the only ones who could um, be loved by God appropriately. They thought that they were just God's chosen and favorite. They were God's chosen people. Sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
one person said this, Jews thought that the Gentiles were only here to keep hell hot. You start to see that rivalry, don't you? That hatred. That was the thinking in Jewish culture. Gentiles were people, uh, were the kind of people that were kind of like the school up north. Um, they didn't like to associate with the Gentiles. They didn't believe that they thought correctly. They were frowned upon, no hope. They thought they couldn't experience the same fullness of Jesus as they did. They didn't follow the eating laws as tightly as the Jews, if any at all. The Jews were frowned upon um, if their clothes even touched Gentiles. They predominantly had their own cities. Joppa for Jews and uh, Caesarea for Gentiles. Jews carried similar swagger as Ohio State fans. <laughs> but that swagger might not always get you into a new uh, experience with God. So Ohio State fans, we also need to humble ourselves. When it came to the Jews and Gentiles, there was simply conflict. And today we're going to see Peter and his heart today is going to be surprised by something when it comes to God's expression towards the Gentiles. So we're getting ready to read about a Gentile who the Bible says was a devout, God-fearing man. Verse 1, Acts chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, please open them, become familiar with them. If you have your electronic Bibles, you can follow along there, or you can go to the screen. We do have a lot of reading today, because I said, man, if I could share this whole story and just read it to you, like paraphrase it, but that's not really reading the word to you. So I wanted to read the word, so it's a lot of reading, and then the sermon probably would have been 10 minutes. So uh, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa. Bring back a man named Simon, who is, um, who is called Peter. He stayed with Simon the Tanner. And I'm like, so Simon the Tanner, huh? So was this a Tanner Simon? Or what was it? Yeah, I know. Everyone just read the word. Well, you know what? I'm going to laugh at it. Do not sin in your anger. Got him. So, um, he's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So this angel comes, shares some things with Cornelius, and now Cornelius is getting ready to be obedient. But who is Cornelius? He is a centurion. So the Roman army was comprised of several thousand men. A centurion is a commander of a century in the Roman army. A century is a group of a hundred men. Uh, they were considered the backbone of the Roman army, often appeared to be adventurous and fearless. So a leader of men, a leader of killers, adventurous, fearless. That's this um, Cornelius. But yet in spite of that, he was still devout, and feared God. 
He was generous to those in need and prayed a lot. He appeared not to be on the same trajectory of those around him within the culture. Though, if I um, just go off what I've read thus far, I don't see that he's saved to this point. I'm not sure if this is all that I've read in the scripture that he's saved yet. What I do see is that he's generous and he's God-fearing. But just because you fear God doesn't mean you're saved yet, in my opinion. Um, But um, he has God's attention as his gifts in prayer have come up as a memorial offering. So I don't think, (laughs) I don't think any good thing, anything in a good direction that you do goes unmissed by God. Right? So Cornelius here, in being devout and God-fearing, in giving to the poor, in giving to the needy, in praying, that didn't go unnoticed. It came up as a memorial. Nevertheless, you're kind of getting this picture of who this guy is. You kind of feel like he's Chuck Norris, but yet he's also someone who wants to lay down their life to Christ. Someone who, who has this deep uh, devotion and discipline about him. But what's interesting to me is, is why did God have to send Peter? Or Yeah, why did God have to send Peter? So this is about 30-ish miles away. Why did God send Peter? If, if you went back to um, Acts chapter 8, verse 40, you see this. Um, Philip was in Caesarea, wasn't he? According to uh, Acts chapter 8, Um, Right here, verse 40. Philip, however, appeared at Azustus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all towns until he reached Caesarea. Why wouldn't God have used Philip, the evangelist, who's in Caesarea, to go talk to Cornelius? See, if I were doing the logistics of heaven... Because I'm so smart, right? No. If I were doing the logistics of heaven, it would have made sense that, hey, Philip, since you're an evangelist and you like, maybe not like it, but you do it and you do it well, you preach the word of God, why don't you actually just go talk to um, Cornelius? And while you do that, then we'll just have Peter kind of remain in the area that he's at and he'll preach and teach. Or maybe he'll go somewhere else and preach and teach and evangelize. Interesting observation. But um, what I realized is, um, why wouldn't God use him? First off, um, God could have also used the angel that he sent as well, right? Why didn't God just send the... um, send the great commission to the angel. Why didn't he say, hey, when you go see Cornelius, tell him about who Jesus is, preach the gospel, and then when you preach the gospel, then after that, just baptize him. So God could have used Philip, and he could have used the angel, but he didn't. So why didn't he use the angel? Because God's called us to walk out the great commission. God has chose to give us purpose. See, our purpose, many, many people in this world are not experiencing the fullness because the purpose that God gave them, they're unwilling to walk in. If you want to experience fullness, the fullness is in walking out the Great Commission. Now, what I haven't said is your fullness is in becoming an evangelist. I'm not telling you to go out and pick it. I'm not telling you to go out and solicit, um, knock on doors and, and pass out tracts. I'm telling you to commit to making disciples, to preaching the good news. That's why many people are not um, experiencing the fullness of who God is or a greater fullness or a greater peace is because we're abandoning one of the clearest things he said in all of Scripture. The Great Commission was not just for this person or that person. The Great Commission was for all of us. And we're going to have to come to a point in our life. And, and, and I do wonder if a lot of the church, um, as in Big K Church, the church around the world is experiencing emptiness because Christ wants the workers to be many. 
And he's like, just, just do what I ask. Be obedient in the things that I'm asking you. Go make a disciple and commit yourself to love someone and teach them the good news of Jesus. And see how that... Fo- how, how, could you not, how could you make a disciple and not be fuller? How could you make a disciple and not have greater peace? We have a generation of people who keep on making life about ourselves and not walking out the number one thing. Either way, God didn't have the angel do it because that's not the angel's purpose. God didn't have Philip do it because God had Peter a reason for Peter to do it, right? And I've always wondered, why has God sent me to other states to pray for people when there's good churches in those states? Why has God sent me to different cities to have me pray for people when there's different people in those cities? I don't ever understand it other than it's just something personal to what God has designed and created for us. And I think of um, a time that Macy and I were at Yankee Candle and... um, while we're there, we're sniffing away, and after about three candles, praise God, right? Praise God, after about three candles, all this starts tightening up, and um, I can't smell anymore, so then she's like, Macy, I can't smell any, so I just grab the coffee, and I start smelling coffee, and I'm good, so, um, so we're at Yankee, and Macy's doing her thing, like, she's got like 16 candles right here. You know, it's kind of like when you were a kid and you'd go up to the drinking fountain. Boom, 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 boom. She's got them all. So we're looking at candles. And I'm walking around and trying to give my best effort to my wife because my bandwidth is about 12 and a half minutes in a candle shop. And then I start to get more anxious once the line starts filling. But this evening, we're at the green. While we're there, um, there's one other family in looking at candles. And then it was like God spoke to me about a word that I needed to share with the cashier. And I'm like, oh no, why me? Why me, God? Why would you send me here to do this? I'm in Dayton. I don't want to do this. So then I'm like, well, well, maybe, maybe if the people... um, those people would get out of the store, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable. Like, if that family would leave, I'd feel more comfortable. So then, still sniffing, and now I have a, like, big excuse. My nose is clogged, and now my heart's dropping, and all I want to do is leave the store. I just want to leave, because it's, it's nerve-wracking and scary. So then, um, Macy could have taken advantage of me so easily there. <laughs> If she just would have been like, I want all five candles, I just would have been like, yes, yes, I don't even even care. I mean, she could have done it. Don't you use that against me, Ricky Bobby. (laughs) So what ended up happening is uh, she she got a couple candles. That couple ended up leaving, right? And I'm like, okay. They left. And I'm like, but wait a second. It's still really weird. I still don't want to do it. It's getting awkward in here. I don't know what to do. So I stand there, and um, Macy passed the candles, and then I said something like, how are you? And Macy looked at me, and she said, oh, it's one of those moments, huh? (laughs) Yeah. And um, I'm so nervous. I'm like, hey, I don't know what this is, but um, I'm a Christian, and while I've been in here, my heart's broke for you. And I believe that God speaks to, um, Scripture says that uh, sheep know their shepherd's voice. And I haven't heard any audible voices or anything, but God put this impression on my heart that, that there's something going on with your family and specifically your daughter. And what God wants to do is God wants to bring um, amends and restoration to you and your family and uh, between you and your daughter. And tears just started to come down her face. She said, I was just in an argument with my daughter last night. And then she went into some other details, um, some details I don't even remember. Why would God send Joey from Mechanicsburg when there's literally 
Within four miles of the green, there's five churches of over 2,000 people. So there's 10,000 believers in that area. Why would God send Joey there? Why would God use Joey? You're telling me that there wasn't another Christian there? Sometimes God sends you places because he's sending you there and that's all that matters. Your job is to be obedient in spite of who you're witnessing to, in spite of what he's asked you to do. And you know what I was able to do that night? Just be reaffirmed that God is who he says he is, that he's loving, that I heard his voice. You know what really changed my life is when I started to realize that the God of heaven, the God of eternity, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega cared to talk to me. Now, some people have gone really haywire with God talking to them. And you can kind of, um, this kind of has nothing to do um, with anything today other than it's somewhat relevant. But God, um, knowing that he, yeah, knowing that he speaks to me changes everything. And part of my life mission, people say, what, what do you want, when you make disciples, what do you want people to know? Well, first off, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Number two, um, a sin is a sin. And, and number three, there's a reality of knowing him intimately that much of the church isn't aware of. Much of the church just thinks that God is in heaven with his control system steering things and that we only get lucky to hear from him. And I just beg to differ. God is an intimate God that cares about every single one of you. Everyone, and, and that's kind of what we're seeing here is that we have Jews who in one mindset are God's only people, God's chosen people. But God is revealing to Peter and getting ready to reveal to Peter that God also cares about the Gentiles. God does what he wants to do. So, um, God was just being God. So while Cornelius had his men on the way, God was preparing Peter in verses 9 through 23. So I'm just going to read a piece of it, um, pieces here and there because um, time's sake. Nevertheless, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching this si or the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He, be, uh, he became hungry and wanted to eat. <laughs> he became hungry and wanted to eat. Can I get a witness? And while the meal was being prepared, he fell in a trance. Now, here is the vision. Verse 11. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. You know what's really unique here is, is Peter is almost being Peter again, right? I mean, this is the Peter that um, denied Christ three times, the Peter that um, ended up slashing a soldier's ear in defense of God. Just this Peter that God's often using um, three reminders. He was jumping to conclusions. He was defending himself. Um, either way, um, Peter was jumping to conclusions of things that he will not do. So God tells him a second time, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, the reason why this vision is so important is the food that Peter was told to eat was food that, was, uh, that he has withheld himself from because it was deemed unclean. So Peter's saying, why would I eat this food 
God because by the Mosaic law, this is unclean. I can't do that. So why are you in this vision? No, I'm not going to. Why, 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 why? You get it, right? But not every dream that we ever have has to be taken literally. So this dream wasn't exactly supposed to be taken literally either. But what's interesting is do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Anything. So in this vision, trance, God wasn't saying don't just call food unclean. He was saying anything. And what the scripture is going to reveal to us is what God's actually saying is Jews can be saved and Gentiles. And this is new to Peter. This is new to the Jewish culture. Anything, don't, anything. And there's such this weird line within the church of... um, you know, with um, sin in people and acceptance and intolerance, like what, what is the boundary? Well, a truth is always the truth. The truth is always the truth. A sin is always a sin. But when God says that something is clean, it's clean. Amen? God isn't just talking about food here. A Jew who was very serious about the Mosaic law just had a dream about eating food that his culture and belief system told him to withhold from. And that was going against Peter's very nature. God was preparing Peter for Cornelius. Verse 17. While Peter was wondering what the meaning of the vision um, about the uh, meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. This really seems like something that would happen in someone's house today. You have this weird dream. You're lounging with your feet kicked up, watching football, thinking about the dream. And then people knock on the door. But God told him, he said, or the Spirit told him, look, don't hesitate. See, these were three Gentile men, people who Peter was not supposed to be around. And they're now at his door. You better listen to God when he says to do something. See, there's this scary line of how, how does a church minister to the least of these? That gets scary, right? Especially if, if a church leans towards uh, being more political. So we, we say from our heart, we want the least of these. We want the sinners to be here, not, not causing problems. But we want the least of these, and we want sinners, and, and we, we want people who need help. But then when you bring those people here, things get a little bit messy, don't they? And you're like, they smell like alcohol. Or they smell like marijuana. Or are they living together? And I'm not approving of any of those things. But what I am saying is God will call us to associate with people who make us uncomfortable. And because God is with us, we have to be willing to be comfortable in it. God knew that Peter was going to be apprehensive. And God knows that we will too. Luckily, in this situation, Peter listened and he went downstairs. Verse 21 Um, Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear 
what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. So now Peter is about to associate with people that he typically wouldn't associate with based upon his culture and belief system. But because of God, he was willing to change his perspective. We need a generation of people who are willing to change their perspective because of their surrender to God. Whose heart is pure? None. Who has not sinned? None. Our heart's going to convince us of things of why we shouldn't do them and why we should do them and why we're right and why they were wrong. If you want to see fruit in your life, just be obedient to God. And that's what Peter was doing right here. His whole training, his whole life, everything that he believed about these Gentile people, God's telling him to go love on them. Say yes to God. Verse 24. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had come together, um, sorry, and called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter, Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. That's interesting. Cornelius fell at his feet in reverence. But what did Peter say to that? Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking uh, with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against the law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when, I was sent, uh, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? There's so much here that could be preached on, and I would love to sit, um, sit here and talk about a few things for a full sermon one day, but not today. But what anticipation by Corndog. Can we call him Corndog? <laughs> Just making sure you guys are listening. What anticipation that Cornelius had. God was going to move. And Cornelius was so excited about God moving, guess what he did? He invited all of his friends and family members. That was his expectation. A devout man who hasn't intimately even given his life to Christ. In his disciplines, he's doing really well. But the blood of Jesus hasn't poured over him. He's so excited about this God. He's so excited about a representative of God speaking about God and the truth of God that he invited all of his friends and family members. And then you say this, he had such credibility with them that they came. Do you have credibility with your neighbors that they would come to church because you've loved them well, because you've been patient with them, because you've represented Jesus Christ to them um, through your actions, through your words, through your forgiveness? Because you know what? The way that you love someone, you often get people to follow you. Cornelius here did something with his family members I don't see in the scripture where he said he made them come. He forced them to come. He invited them and they came. I wonder what it would look like for us. I wonder what it would look like if we loved our families and friends so much. And they're like, well, you know what, Pastor Joey, my family's in Tennessee. They can't come to this church. Okay, smart aleck. What about your neighbors? What about the people you run into um, at the gas station? 
at Mix 165? What about the people that you run into at work? Do you have such anticipation of God moving within a Sunday service or a small group or a one-on-one meeting that you're willing to invite them? I hope so. See, because it's like this. If I was in the sanctuary all by myself and there was a lion, you already know I'm going out a back door. I'm running, right? No need for me to be in the sanctuary by myself with the lion. It will kill me. Not a chance. But you put Macy in here? You better learn. I'm going to teach that lion something. I'm going to teach him how good a man tastes better than a woman. That's what I'm going to teach him. <laughs> I, will, I will fly into the sanctuary and I will try whatever I can. You don't want any of that lion. Do you want to know why? It's not out of a boldness. It's not out of a fear, but it's out of a love. A love for Macy that is like, I need to do whatever it takes. And the reason why I think that the church, big church, isn't evangelizing, isn't preaching the good news, isn't inviting their friends to church, because there's a lack of love. How could you love Jesus and want people to be in heaven for eternity, set free from the damnation of hell? How could you, how could you love that and then say you love people and not walk out the Great Commission? With that same urgency, or maybe even with more urgency, because I'll say this, if the lion got to Macy before I, I got to the lion, I know where Macy's going. Macy's going to be in heaven, and I'm going to be brokenhearted. Macy will be in heaven. But you know what? What about our friends who don't know Jesus? They're going to hell, plain and simple. We should love our neighbors so much. And if we don't love them right now, you know what my prayer should be? God, I don't love my neighbor. I really just love myself. I confess that's a prayer. God, I love myself more than I love anyone else. Will you chisel me? Will you strip me? Will you help me love others more? Will you help me love people in a direction that you love them? And when God's love starts to break your heart, then you start to be willing to go places you would never go. Cornelius had a simple invitation, which is a place that many of us have never went for our friends within our neighborhoods. Right? Or am I just preaching to myself? I always see these people on YouTube. They're like, I wish I had a church that was awake. I just can't do it naturally, so I don't. I wish I had a church that was listening or participating. Just be you, Joseph. I will. Nevertheless, Cornelius had a bunch of anticipation. And I do just want to make this one remark is... Um, Something interesting is it surprises me that some religions don't look at Acts 10 verse 26 and recognize that saints shouldn't be worshipped. Um, St. Peter, right, right here, Peter says, look, not about me. It's about God. Stand up. Quit doing this. I'm just a man. So um, finally, Peter addressed that the culture, culturally, he isn't supposed to be there. But what God says matters so he is there. God is allowing believers to understand that the gospel is for everyone. So, um, then the next couple of verses, Cornelius recounts his vision. 
to those, um, to Peter and those there. Now we're going to skip down to verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Right here. You can underline this. You can um, note this. Verse 35. But accepts every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. This is important. God accepts everyone, but you can't leave it there. One of the poor things we do is we just start leaving stuff there. God accept, we can't leave it just there. You have to keep on reading. God accepts everyone who fears him and does what is right. Then Peter preaches the gospel and takes a much different approach than he did in Acts chapter 2 when he was really bold and honest. You guys remember that? There was um, the big blue all-state finger pointing at the crowd. I mean, he was just pointing them. You people, you people, you people, you people, you people, you people. Peter's finger was pointed so strong that I felt it. Thousands of years ago, that you still impacted my heart. It was so bold. Now, Peter's getting ready to have a different approach. And his approach is um, more kind, generous, um, just really talking about, um, basically what I'm saying is this, is Peter tailored his message to the crowd. You got to have a repertoire. And here's the message, verse 36. You know the message of God. Sorry, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And as I read this, will you receive it too? Will you receive the gospel message um, as if you're there that day? Like, how good is it that the gospel can be preached again? So, I'm just going to start over. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what is happening throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Amen? Verse 44, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on, very important here, all who heard the message. This wasn't just all who listened, right? I can listen to Macy, but just because I'm listening doesn't mean I'm hearing Macy. That's why like in these conversations, you're like, did you hear what I said? And then the person repeats, you're like, you didn't hear me. What, what, what it's like, you didn't comprehend. You're not understanding. All you did was listen to it. Jesus, you know, say, hey, you who have ears, let you hear it. Like you who, who are willing to listen. You who have a postured heart. Because there's people here in the room today. Some people are listening. And then some people are, are grasping and submitting to God in the word, right? Some people are just like, yeah, this is just another message. That's fine. Other people, there's something going on in your heart where there's this surrender. Like, I get it. I hear it. 
So while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So Peter was astonished that what it used to be or what they're seeing right now is baptism, right? So put your faith in Christ, baptism, and then Holy Spirit. But now what they're seeing is something completely different. It was almost as if Peter assumed that there was an order, that it had to be faith, baptism, Holy Spirit. But what we just saw here was, I believe that when they heard the message, when they heard the message, there was a surrender to God. I believe that that scripture saying that, that that's where this crowd bowed their knee. And then the Holy Spirit came. That's what I see there. Some people have suggested that these were non-believers that the Spirit fell on. I don't see that in the scripture. I don't see that... Um, non-believers started to live in the Holy Spirit, what I do see is that there's a surrender, they heard it, and now they're living in the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, before Peter gave the altar call, before Peter said, stand up, close your eyes, before Peter said, if you want to give your life to Christ, raise your hand, people had responded to the presence of God. That's the presence that I want here. That's the surrender that I want to see here is that there's such this willingness and interest and love before God that there doesn't even need to be an altar call. That God is just here. Like his power, his might, his presence and our yieldedness to the power, his might, his love and his presence is so relevant here that one person's willing to do it. One person. They believed. Verse 30, uh, 47. Then Peter said, Surely no one stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Are you okay with God changing what you believe about him? Even if you're the smartest person in the room, are you okay with that? This is Peter. It isn't Joey. Peter, who was convinced of something his whole life, God within a matter of just like 48 hours, 72 hours, whatever it was, God within just a matter of hours changed almost his whole doctrine of who Jesus was. So if God can do that for someone who was in the Bible, who God felt like needed to be written about to share his story, if God can do that with Peter, are you willing to let God do that for you? Now, what I'm not saying is start, start accepting an inclusive, inappropriate doctrine that you can't find in the Word. It's not what I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is be considerate that maybe God wants to show up every week like He did last week and you be okay with it. Maybe God wants to show up with you at your home. Maybe God wants you to say you're sorry to someone this week and you have to be okay with it. Maybe you're 50 years old and you've never been baptized before, submerged in water, and God says, I want you to do it. And you say, I'll follow you. As a younger person, I thought that my stubbornness was going to keep me from, keep me from swaying sides. You know, and you make up these scenarios of, if it's the end of time, I'm so stubborn that I'll just take the bullet to the head. What a lie of Satan about my stubbornness. Because my stubbornness has, has kept me from more things of God than it has prevented me from staying with God. Or than, than it has kept good in me. Can anyone relate to that? It's like 
I've assumed, I assumed when I was 20 that my stubbornness was a God thing. No, my stubbornness has kept me from more things of God. <laughs> I'm going to follow it. I mean, if I were Peter, if I were Peter, there's no way. No, these people are messed up, God. What I've been trained in, what I've been conditioned in, the way that church has always been. What about this? What if God is going to use Acts chapter 10 for the propellant to change a culture here at Mechanics for Christian Fellowship? And here's the thing. Is our culture bad? No. Would I be happy with church the way it is for the rest of my existence with you people? I think there's a, a, a few minor changes we could make. Minor. But what if God says, we're going to wipe this out. We're going to redo everything. What if next week I'm up there preaching? And this is like seating right here. What if, what, if, what if we have small groups and we say, we're not meeting on Sunday mornings. Now, don't hear any vision right now. This isn't conversations going on in elders' meetings. This is just me firing from the hip. Just don't get hit. What if, what if we say, what if we make bold statements and we say, God only wants a church that's willing to come together and go evangelize? Are you willing to shift? Because I heard someone once say this. They said, they went to this church and they asked the pastor after service. They said, pastor, fun service. Good service, good word. They said, what do you have to offer us? He said, I probably shouldn't have said this, but I was probably tired because I had a busy week. He said, well, biblically speaking, what do you have to offer us? It's not about what the church could do for you. See, this is a gathering place. What if we change the name of MCF? You know that there's going to be people say, that's not, that's not what it used to be. That's not the church that I know. What if we changed it because Scripture says that the church is a gathering place? What if we changed this place to being named the gathering place? What would we do? How many people would be offended? Will you let God change your perspective of everything? no matter what you've always been convinced of. As long as it doesn't contradict the word. If someone said that there were multiple Jesus and multiple ways to heaven, they're liars and they're false prophets, false teachers. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. It hurts when change happens I feel like I do better with it than some people, but change hurts. I don't like it. But what I recognize is God's always in that change. God's in the change. Peter was willing to accept a change. So, tradition back to the scripture. I'm going to trip over myself because my shoe's untied. God isn't a lover of traditions. He is a lover of people. He isn't going to let nations suffer in their sin because they're different. Jesus died for everyone. And now Peter's understanding how significant that is. See, the tradition was to come to Christ, get baptized, and then the Holy Spirit. Now they saw Christ, Holy Spirit, baptism, which gets you to heaven. Christ. Both. Both got him there. Had a conversation recently with someone. They said, what if someone gives their life to Christ and then they're not baptized? Do they go to heaven? If they get in a car accident right after they give their life to Christ? Yes, they do. But 
Is baptism something that Christ calls us to do? Yes. Is it practical obedience? Yes. Is it one way to identify with the church? Yes. So if you've given your life to Christ and you've never been immersed in water and you gave your life to Christ more than two days ago, then that's something you need to start considering. To be immersed in water as identification with him. So what's our description? We're wrapping up. I was going to wait until 42 to say that. But, uh, I mean, I still can if you really want me to. But uh, as we wrap up, what's the description for us today? God is revealing to Peter that he still has some learning to do. Jew versus um, Gentile is an epic battle, yet God has something to say about it. That all are welcome to the kingdom. God desires to bring unity in places of division. Every area God desires to do that. God died for everyone. God accepts everyone who fears him and does what is right. Obedience to God positioned two people in correct places for a revelation of God's heart. You say yes to God and be obedient to him then revelation of God's heart will probably come after. The kingdom of God was furthered and people were saved. That's what we see happening right here um, in peace in Acts chapter 10. So what's the prescription? God desire, um, God's desire is to bring godly unity in divided places. Practice that this week. I can guarantee that everyone in here has some kind of offense with someone. Some, it doesn't have to be like a hate you offense. It's just, this bothered me. Or 98% of people. Right after I said it, I thought of Richard Showalter, and I'm like, <laughs> fine, 99% of people, God. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so... Only truth from the pulpit. <laughs> Many of us have offenses today with people. There's frustrations within this church. Leadership this, or this person annoyed me, or that person didn't call me, or I felt like I wasn't invited, right? I don't feel like I'm important. I don't feel like people see me or value me. There's division. And God's desire is to bring unity. Practice that. Our nation is divided. So what do we do? We forgive, we surrender, we let go. Amen? God desires to save everyone. Last prescription is this. Live like Cornelius. Pray, fast, give, and be obedient taking notes. So when I ask next week, that's what you can say. Pufagubba. Pufagubba. What's that? Pray, fast, give, be obedient. I made that up myself. Webster's going to put it in there one day. Or was there interpretation with that tongue? Let's pray. Father, Thank you for this cool story in Acts 10 about how teaching someone who seems to be progressively having it together about something different, something that you have in store. I ask that you would help us have hearts of surrender this week where we're willing to see things differently where we're willing to hear from you differently, Father. I pray that you would bring peace to us. Father, that you would protect us this week from the schemes of Satan. I pray that you would give us a deep cry for you and for others. May we be able to have um, fun here within this community. May we, may we know how much we love each other in this community. I pray for deep unity, Father, within this church and within this community and with every community that we represent, Father.
Thank you for this being a regional church. In Jesus' name, amen. Women, go sign up for your women's retreat. They might have like pumpkin spice lattes. And there's also football. Thank you. Um, we Flag football signups. Please go do that again today on the bulletin board. And we're also accepting food donations and money donations for that. So please uh, talk to Joshua about that. <laughs>